0: impressions the good show about bad advertising this is an episode we tried to put off for as long as possible but you knew we were gonna do it we were all born in the online era some of us are terminally online I'm not talking about me and my poison internet brain at all but we were we gonna, were gonna do something capable of maintaining this sincere look at the ad world we had to retreat into irony and layers of talking about what we we're talking about and being self-referential So that's right, baby. It's the podcast about podcasting. We're finally doing it. Not only that, it's the advertising podcast about podcast advertising. We'll just let you progress through the four stages of Galaxy Brand Meme in your chair while you process that. The good news is you might be thinking, why would I listen to these people tell me about podcast advertising? Their amateurishness is on display every single week or two weeks or four weeks just to emphasize that we haven't exactly (laughs) mastered the content calendar or the development tear sheet almost had a dry february of podcasts which is probably healthier than a dry february of drinking um spoiler alert not me but a friend You, you can quit for as much as five months and if you just come back even harder than ever before that's just kind of a message not only about the efficacy of dry months but how the rest of your life is going to go With that note i'll introduce our guest and the real expert on podcast advertising casey murphy casey do you want to tell the folks a little bit about yourself
1: Uh, i think it's impossible to follow that up lee but uh, i will say that it's a, a privilege to be here especially within a meta episode uh, can't wait to get into the nitty gritty, but yeah, my name is Casey Murphy. I, I currently work as the director of performance marketing at, at Barstool Sports. Uh, before that, I, I was at Vayner Media with the, these three fine folks uh, for about three and a half years, uh, working primarily on, on retail e-commerce business and uh, transitioned into the, the performance marketing role at Barstool. Uh, where I primarily help brands uh, find ways in which to leverage our integrated marketing opportunities uh, to drive success with their media initiatives uh, and primarily focusing, uh, maybe not primarily, but a, a huge part of my role is, is focusing on our uh, podcast ad solutions, uh, where where we have a top ten podcast network. So, uh, since 2019, I've been in the weeds of the podcast marketing world. Which you know, in in this short uh, existence of of podcast podcast marketing, makes me more uh, of an expert than most. So, I'm I'm happy to provide my expertise and, and talk through some of. Uh, the ideas of where podcast marketing might be going and uh, where it is now. Uh, excited to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you for assertively claiming your expertise. We had on to talk about building community, and he was like, I'm not an expert. I'm an eager explorer, even though his full-time job is building a community. Like, would anyone remember Lewis and Clark if they got to the Pacific and some guy was like, wow, you guys really canoeed, huh? And they are like, mm, we paddle a bit. Thank you for owning it. This is going to be a zero cowardice episode. I can already tell.
1: Absolutely. I'm going to come in with hot takes and they're going to be firm. All right. Fantastic.
0: So I, I guess we'll start with kind of how exactly did we get to this particular podcast moment with podcasts in general and people's interest in podcast advertising? You know, knowing that it's kind of been multiple moments, and of course, you know, I think you've been able to see, um, you know, some content that's been very much at the forefront these last couple of years.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I think there's a particular uh, boom in audio right now, and and with social media, particularly, I think Clubhouse is is showing just where this world can go. But you know, when focusing on on podcasting specifically, I, I think there's a real Uh, story to be told on kind of how it got going where it started Uh, so you know I think when you think about and for me it was middle school but when you got your first uh, your first mp3 player right I mean I used to burn CDs in my basement um, you know pulling songs off Napster when I was in sixth grade Uh, and the second that I didn't have to burn CDs anymore was a huge turning point for me when I got my first uh, iPod. And, you know, that kind of corresponds to where the tech led to this avenue. So when you think about audio, uh, you first, I mean, I think most people think about just radio, right? Growing up in the car, listening to sports talk radio, listening to, you know, hit music stations, et cetera. And, you know, getting that freedom of your first iPod was, a was a big deal for me. So, um, you know, I think that kind of, uh, it parlays itself with, you know, the, the start of where podcasting came from and, um, t- starts the story of where, where it is now. So, uh, back in, in 2004, I believe, is when uh, the RSS feed came out, which which basically allowed uh, folks to record long segments of, of audio uh, and then publish them to be shared across other websites in a way that was pretty revolutionary. Uh, and, and so it was really then when kind of the around 2004, 2006, when um, really influential comedians, I think, really started kind of like... The popularization of of uh, podcasting and basically recording long form uh, skits, more or less. Um, you know, Ricky Gervais hopped on in two thousand six uh, as a pioneer to the to the um, to the industry, and uh, folks like Adam Carolla hopped on. Um, the New York Times started a podcast called The Daily, talk through news um, back in two thousand nine, which really caught on. Uh, And then I think, you know, as you roll through time, the idea of uh, storytelling and and kind of leaning outside of just the comedy aspect and then the um, and then the news or informational side of things as well hit huge with Serial back in 2014. I think you guys all probably remember Serial, right? Um, as, a, as a big moment in your lives? Are you guys serial fans?
0: I never listened to it, but I do remember when like everyone was talking about it for a while there. It was a massive national consciousness thing.
1: Right, yeah. I think that's kind of the big moment where peop- most people found out what podcasts really were and found out how much uh, scale potential was really there, right? It, it sort of was the first time podcasting became... Uh, Transcendental into the kind of pop culture and when a lot of people were first exposed to the medium and and that's when the real boom started. So uh, that was kind of when when you look at 2014, 2015, when advertisers really started to become interested in the medium because they realized people were really paying attention to it. Uh, And that's kind of, you know, when we as part of the podcast industry in the in the sales world, there. Uh, it's really funny because they, there's this graph that the IAB always shows at any conference that you go to where the IAB is present, uh, talking about the scale potential of podcast advertising. And it's literally like five graph bars. It's like a, a bar graph with like five bars, and it starts in 2015 and it's like 2016, and it's like triple the size of ad revenue, and then you go to 2017, it's like, oh my God, tripled again, and it's like this hyperbolic curve, and you get to like 2025, and it's like question mark. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's so funny because when you're looking at, like whenever you see those uh, trend stories for for other digital marketing avenues, generally it starts a lot earlier, but the podcast uh, marketing world is, is so new. Uh, really kind of getting its juice flowing in, in around the 2015-2016 area that it's still in in a lot of ways in its infancy um and i think you know the access to uh the recording devices and microphones and um you know I, we're talking to two folks who, who are well more equipped than i am with recording device etc but Uh, I think podcasting has turned into something that anybody can do and so there's a lot uh, of voices in the space now um, even though it is still a very new medium uh, that um, you know it's hard to differentiate yourself but there are still uh, years before this reaches maturity and it's exciting being a part of it as it grows
2: yeah I think most recently what's been most you know like What's been interesting is just like the democratization uh, of of podcasting, you know, how uh, for a while you you really needed your studio or you needed your uh, recording engineers and and you needed to sink a lot of infrastructure into it. Um, You know, and then here we are, you know, in in 2020, we had, you know, three Internet ding-dongs like ourselves just be able to, like, put together this podcast. Uh, And it was a really, like, low bar, like, you know, to to jump over um, to kind of stand something up
1: yeah for sure. there and you can see it happening on on my side as well. and uh, there you know traditionally, there have been some uh, major players in the space who who kind of held uh, a monopoly, if you will, over the the top podcasting distribution uh, entities. So, uh, Barstool is, is one of them. We're, we're in a, uh, you know, top class of of publishers, but you think about iHeartRadio, uh, NPR, who's been in obviously the radio game for a long time, tradition, uh, transitioned over to, to podcasts early on the New York times, uh, who, who runs the daily, which is one of the biggest shows, um, out there. And, uh, this American life is huge. Um, so there, there, uh, there have traditionally been kind of the top dogs, uh, from a network perspective who have had access to what you said, uh, David, the um, the, the production elements, the, the quality control, uh, you know, the staffing necessary to run multiple shows at scale, but now it's, it's easy for anybody and everybody to kind of do it on their own. Uh, So what you're seeing, I think, is a trend where uh, content creators or or influencers, if you will, are starting to leverage the audio medium uh, as an extension to their their current brands that they've built either on YouTube uh, or or Instagram or these other outlets. Um, So, you know, major players in the space like David Dobrik um, or... uh, um, you know like the paul brothers love them or hate them Uh, they have influence and they're starting to lean more into audio because it's just an extension of of what you're able to do and and how you're able to distribute uh, and how you're able to create on a day-to-day basis so you're right you really don't need uh, much more than a microphone and some time to cut audio uh, and you can be in this space Um, the major challenge is, is truly though to to create something that's relevant and to create something that people want to listen to because there is just a tremendous amount of noise out there right now.
2: As a marketer and especially with this, you know, explosion of more and more content, you know, like popping up every day. Um, what is your advice or, or your viewpoint on uh, discerning value um, of the, the content and or the listenership um, that you go when, when you have your conversations with, with clients and those kind of things?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's a, a loaded one. Uh, so it's uh, there again with all the different options you have out there right now, it can be difficult to cut through the noise and, and really start uh, conversations with, with the right people. So I think the, the first thing and it's similar to kind of uh, how any digital media campaign should be approached is taking a step back and understanding who you're trying to reach uh, and what you're trying to solve with with a marketing campaign. Uh, I think once you have those questions answered, then it turns into a research game uh, where you try to figure out who are the relevant people are in reaching the audiences that you're trying to reach. Uh, so I think just having those two things in mind are I- important and crucial for kind of any marketing campaign you're trying to do. Uh, with, with content creation, I think it's a little bit, more difficult to achieve these, uh, these results versus some of the more, um, I guess, ubiquitous platforms that we've gotten used to. So, Facebook, for instance, anybody can log in at any time and run a campaign and reach effectively whoever they want. Um, you know, you can, everybody's on Facebook. I think, you know, everybody in air quotes, because uh, every demographic, major demographic at scale. Is, uh, is on Facebook or Google or YouTube uh, and, and they're easy to kind of reach with a click of a button in the creation of a campaign. Uh, but I think with any content creation, uh, it's more about relevance and it's more about who is actually a voice to the people that you're trying to reach. Uh, And that's a good place to start whenever you're looking to kind of leverage a medium like podcasting, which, in my opinion, should be used as kind of the next step extension beyond uh, some of those other bread and butter channels, like I mentioned, Facebook, Google, like those aren't going away. You get value from leveraging those outlets. But when you try to think about expanding and reaching new audiences in a unique way, that's when you can start thinking about the creative side of things and, and how you can partner with certain, um, creators again, use that word ad nauseum to, to help with getting your brand message in front of the right people in the right way.
0: You, you mentioned earlier also that people kind of do look at podcast advertising in this aggregate where they may be considering the content creation with the syndication in tandem kind of the same way Mm -hmm. that they're considering the emerging world of more programmatic or automated or biddably bought audio Mm -hmm. and i I agree and i think they both have these different powerful and compelling appeals i really like the idea of biddable audio because i think audio can Mm -hmm. be a, a great format and i think a lot of these platforms have a lot of real quality attention But at the same time, I am a little intrigued, maybe not as much as the people who spent the past 20 years taking every opportunity they could to tell you that the most undervalued thing in America was, like, drive-time local radio DJ reads. (laughs) Yes, for a certain market it was, but, like, I mean, there are also people who only understand drive-time radio DJs as something that was heavily parodied by their favorite stand-up comedians growing up. So, like, but I I get it, and I think my co-hosts know that my favorite ad slot in all of America are the product live reads on a certain podcast. I can't even say the name of on here that ends in town, which are the most powerfully offensive ads ever conceived that they keep getting paid for because you look at like the YouTube comments and someone's like, Wow, after I was done understanding that I was put on an FBI list for listening to that ad for Thursday boots, uh, I went and bought some. <laughs> it's the funniest damn thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they were telling me how horrible a person I would be if I owned some. And now I do. So it, I, it's <laughs> tough. And do you, do you see any clients develop a, a good system or, or just early idea for understanding if they should be in like the host live read content space? and Mm -hmm. or the just beatably bought kind of like more more programmatic space
1: uh first of all i i know what show you're talking about uh, and i think those guys are are hilarious uh lots of respect for the the town crew uh but anyway the to better answer your question i i do think it's a very important point lee and I do want to take a step back and 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 kind of go through the the I guess the two high-level ways in which you can activate uh, as a marketer uh, through the podcast medium. So first and foremost, what I was kind of going in, into detail in my last little spiel uh, was the the host endorsed uh, you know baked-in ad content that uh, that is um, kind of the genesis and how. Uh, before some of this ad tech uh, technology progression in the space uh, allowed for, for biddable options is, is sort of the traditional way to go. Uh, so these are ad slots that uh, you are integrated to the content itself, are uploaded as a piece of the, of the episodes in which they fall in, and are, uh, host, again, host-read, uh, a part of the content, um, really lean into the endorsement from the hosts who are um, executing the ad reads, and they generally, for for better or for worse, uh, mimic the overall style of the show itself. Um, the idea is to basically put in an ad that is as seamless within the episode as possible to uh, drive the most impact uh, for the listener. Uh, within the episode itself. So like you said, with your Thursday Boots example, uh, I'm sure they sell a lot of Thursday Boots because the folks listening to that show are familiar with the style in which uh, content is delivered and it really hits home to those listeners. Uh, so those deals are, are handled uh, directly with publishers and directly with the creators themselves. Uh, it can vary who you're working with. Uh, if you are working with a, a, some, a, a network like a Barstool Sports, you'll be uh, executing those uh, ad buys to someone like me on behalf of the publishers uh, themselves. Uh, and it's a real kind of handshake, old school media agreement. Um, the, the, the alternative to that is, is what you were getting into a little bit, which is the uh, programmatic buying option, which uh, is the, the digital insertion avenue. Uh, the ad tech in this space is, is growing incredibly uh, quickly, uh, and there are a lot more robust options kind of rolling out every quarter, I, I almost would say. But there are a few mechanisms in which um, you can log into as a, as a marketer uh, and, and set up uh, programmatic campaigns similar to how, uh, you know, you execute um, any other type of Digital buy like a Facebook or or a Google or or a, uh, a TrueView uh, YouTube campaign where uh, you you log in you put your flight you put your budget uh, you upload creative and then depending on where you're leaning into uh, what uh, what service you're you're looking at and and executing through you can select um, other types of targeting where you're actually reaching uh, an audience through multiple shows, uh, versus kind of integrating into one show that reaches that user base for, um, that particular episode, uh, like the, pre- like the, the former version I was walking through the baked in, uh, Avenue. So the, the digital insertion piece is, is uh, very much more similar, I think, to how standard, uh, or not standard, how I guess, um, uh, current digital ad buyers in the programmatic landscape operate. Uh, and so there's uh, a, a definite pull to kind of go that avenue from the, from the entire industry right now to, to format more to your style, Lee. Um, have, have you given, actually, I'll, I'll flip it on to you. Have you given uh, that any of those uh, platforms a shot? Like have you executed a campaign through megaphone? uh or um or simplecast or any of these placements that that do have the capabilities. I'm actually curious to hear your thoughts.
0: I'm ashamed to admit that I've only logged into the Spotify self-service, given it a look and said this is mass advertiser only, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. That's not a knock on it, but like, you know, it's it's like pick a pick a music category or a, a mood like gym. Uh, we all know when we're feeling gym, um, you know, but that's that's actually the only one I've explored, although I really should look into megaphone and any others that are out there, uh, especially I, I'm not even aware which um, offer any sort of advertiser data upload. So I'm, I'm a novice in this realm.
1: Yeah, and I think that there's a lot to be said about that because Lee, I don't think I've ever asked you a question in our time working together where when it related to historical programmatic ad buying where you didn't know the the most in the room. So I think it really does. It's not a knock on you and your experience in this avenue, but I think it just shows how new this stuff is and how kind of open it is for exploration and, and testing and You know, to kind of to show it to like wrap this back into the conversation, Lee, where we are actually trying to go with this, I think, you know, the major point here is that uh, there are two avenues which you can go you can buy you can test out one of these programmatic ad server ad services look at targeting and assess results in real time that are more closely associated with the reporting metrics you find from traditional programmatic digital campaigns and you should absolutely try that out like that should be something as a marketer if you're interested in in trying podcasting you should test that and see what it does for your business but then there's this flip side here where there are. Uh, You know, thousands of creators making content uh, for a particular audience um, who have either aggregated a base group that really are fond of them and listen to them religiously. and uh, leveraging that, like their voice as a mechanism to reach that niche niche audience and more of a personalized way, which also is an effective uh, mechanism to to get your brand message across and and drive results uh, in an advertising initiative. So they're very different um and i think that both have positives and negatives but i think just educating folks that there are multiple options out there uh it it can be a bit intimidating but it also should provide uh some clarity on on what's possible and and what ways you can really go with this
2: yeah i think there's a lot of like myths still kind of like to dispel on that you know in, in in the industry itself so like Digital ad insertion is, you know, as you mentioned, it's, it's very turnkey in terms of feels the most similar to fill in the blank. And that's a lot of the like status quo stuff that a lot of like buyers are, are doing these days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, audio ads are already created and you can just, you know, plug in your uh, your parameters and kind of run a, an audience-based like solution. Right. Um, and, and, you, and you get those results as you were um, as you were mentioning. Um, but I think where the thing that kind of, podcasts and audio sometimes kind of gets in its own way in the realm of digital marketing is, you know, digital marketing has been around for a very long time and the expectations of specific conversion performance and or attribution, um, is huge. Uh, it's just always like the, you know, 800 pound gorilla in the room in terms of, well, can you measure it? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, things with like podcasts is that there's a lot of elements in terms of, you know, mostly it's vanity url uh uh, and promo code um you know which is pretty limiting um to a handful of different industries um so i I always would i'm very bullish on uh on on podcasting and podcasting um you know advertising because it reads worse than its impact actually is um how many times is someone going to you know re like hear uh, a digital ad insertion or even a host live read with a, a vanity URL. Uh, and they, for, you know, they just get in the moment and they just go to the organic, you know, URL and they convert and they heard the podcast and there's just no like attribution. It's just kind of like lost. Right. Um, and I think that's something like that, like marketers in, in general probably need to like, understand in terms of like you you will reach and have like a much stronger value or build that brand affinity uh we've kind of had a couple of you know recorded episodes that might not be out by the by the time this comes out uh as well but talking about like you know the the need of of uh of brand advertising and those kind of uh specific like initiatives of course um and that's where kind of like the live read i think really kind of is one of the most undervalued thing in terms of and more so than than the the local like radio disc jockeys because they are on a uh, on a schedule on a time. So you get you know at max like thirty seconds. Right. But if you let um, a host read and if and if you let them do what they want to do, you know you could have what would be a typical thirty second buy that for some reason goes on for a minute and a half to two minutes, and they're just talking about your brand the uh-huh. entire time. Um, you know, and I think that that like you know talking about like underpriced attention and like those kind of like you know, buzzy, snappy terms, yeah. but like, that's absolutely like one of them. And, and if not, like that might be the most uh, in the industry right now.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I really do. I think measurement or the lack thereof when it comes to host reads in particular is a big detriment to brands being willing to give it a shot. Uh, giving that outlet a shot because at the end of the day, the the call to action is one that is limiting, right? You're you get the Shola to the point that you're making. You really do get the storyline behind the ad product within the read itself, but the call to action can be very quick and it's at the end of the read and it's fleeting. You know, go to uh, badimpressions.com/lee and get. 10% off your next coffee mug. Uh, there are going to be a lot of folks who remember that ad uh, You know, a, a couple days after, forget the promo code, go and purchase anyway. Uh, and while that's an attributed sale that you might get with uh, a click through Google Analytics targeting look back window or a Facebook pixel look back window, you're, you're not getting that. Um, in the the standardized measurement form that relates to only tracking folks who are using that code. So it is a big challenge in the space. And, you know, because it's a challenge, you're seeing the tech catch up. So uh, I think there are two ways to really combat that with, with HostRed. I think, you know, when you're talking about digital ads and ad insertion, you, you have a better feedback window. You get some of those uh, metrics as a part of the, of the process, which is attractive and where, why there's a lot of scale happening on that side. But you're also seeing the progression from measurement uh, from the, the top brands in the space who uh, I see the most successful folks who leverage uh, quite a bit of, of host read baked in um, ad reads. They, they leverage the, the feedback cycle they get from a p- promo code redemption or a Vandy URL, but they also use such levers as, as post conversion survey uh, you know, asking folks where they heard about the product before um, they ended up making a purchase. And so there's a lot you can learn from the back end there uh, as a kind of an addition to, to what you're getting from the feedback uh, directly from uh, promo code redemption. But there are, all, are, there are also a lot of uh, pixel based attribution services emerging in the space that partner with publishers uh, to create an environment where the brand can actually see via pixel data from their side um, tracking on their site to how google floodlights and, and facebook pixels work uh, then tied to uh, publisher provided data from the rss feed such as ip addresses and you can start to see that uh, 360 view come through um, it's not going to be as robust as a Uh, facebook pixel or anything like that but it really does help close the gap so measurement is getting better i think shola like we're years away likely from it being um, anywhere close to as good as what we see from the major duopoly you know results and, and other programmatic avenues right now but it is getting better which is a positive sign i think for marketers and you know the savviest of marketers are finding their own ways to measure which Uh, I think, you know, has been going on for a long time regardless. So um, a lot of exciting things happening, honestly, in podcast tech and measurement, but it still still lags behind uh, some of the competitive areas in which um, brands can invest.
0: Before we get into anything around running your own podcast and monetization and the real magic of content, I think maybe an interesting bridge there. And this has been kind of like an eternal conundrum and a difficult question to answer. I've seen a lot of brands historically decide that they want to create their own podcast or at least get Mm -hmm. very close to doing that. In some cases, I've seen them do it and thought to myself, why the hell did they do this with, with no existing expertise, knowledge, or platform? I think it's pretty unbelievable that some... Yeah. Large B2B outlets that I won't mention have been paid undoubtedly a lot by some brands that I won't mention to make podcast series that just audibly sound worse than this one. Like they're not even yeah. using like recording software or editing. It's like absolutely unbelievable. Right. So I think there's a lot of confusion in the brand side about how to approach this and what's the value of a large credible network with a lot of expertise and inherent measurement capability and benchmarking like a bar stool versus the creation of one's own owned assets. And so I'm wondering, do you guys ever have that conversation with brands or you personally about look, here's what you get, you know, c- getting good content creation from an established podcast and just being woven into their narrative. Here's what you get making your own podcast series entirely. Because And this is mostly in the B2B space. I think a lot of the major brands have, in my opinion, like a lot of consumer brands seem to have calmed down a little bit on, like, we need to produce a full podcast on our own (laughs) that is just us having a whole series. Because that's a little nuts sometimes. Um, I'm just curious if if you have any thoughts in that area. And, like, what is the the sensible toe dip for a brand? Or, like, has anyone really jumped in the pool whole hog, like, out of nowhere? Just, we're doing a whole series, and it works out great. (laughs) I, I honestly haven't necessarily seen that.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a pertinent question. And I, I, I honestly don't think it's something that's just related to to podcasting. But, you know, take a step back. The the mantra of, of content being king is, is so crucial. Uh, you need to be creating something that people want to listen to. So I think it's just the major brand fallacy in a lot of ways where uh, brands will think that what they have to offer is very interesting. And lo and behold, it's actually really not. Uh, Or brands think that they can be super funny on social media and get a bunch of followers like Wendy's, uh, but actually aren't funny at all and and fail miserably and spend a bunch of time and resources trying to build up an organic social presence. Uh, It kind of manifests itself across mediums. And because podcasts is in vogue, you have, uh, instances of many instances where brands do try to do that. I, I think that there are some success stories, which is probably worse off for the future brands that try to try to try, try this method. Cause it is few and far between of brands that I've seen succeed with that. So, you know, two good examples off the top of my head, uh, you know, Robin hood um, with their daily uh, I think it's daily podcast of, of it's called snacks and it's basically just a roundup of, Uh, financial news on the day of um, similar to kind of how the daily runs. And when you compare it to, you know, daily news source, like morning brew, it really kind of focuses on that angle where it's like, Hey, here's the top stories of the day. That's pretty cool. And it's branded and a lot of people listen and that was a success story. Uh, Another example is goop. Um, Goop is a, uh, has hit a chord with their content creation on you know, education of mental health and and female wellness. And they've really gained an audience that way and and have recurring users and and have done well. Um, And and that's been successful from an organic standpoint where the the production investment uh, really paid off for them. But uh, I do think on the flip side is, you know, when you're trying to get your brand in front of relevant users, yes, you can try to create a content engine against your own uh, product. But why would you do that, in my opinion, when you can basically just pay someone who already has that audience, uh, who, who already can speak to the users that you're trying to reach uh, in a way that makes a lot of sense to them to hawk your product instead. Um, so it might sound lazy. It might sound like you're cutting corners. But honestly, it's just the, the success rate can be so much higher. And it's just frankly, much less expensive to try Uh, And you're really not at the end of the day looking at like a two-year time investment, and you have you know a thousand people you know watching your content when you could have easily just paid uh, over the past two years to have uh, more relevant folks endorse your your product in front of the right people uh, beforehand. So that that's kind of my general thoughts on it, and uh, and I don't think it's a, a, a a problem or a thought process that brand managers have about themselves uh, across platforms.
0: I I would agree. I think that definitely at this point, there's so much pod content going on that I, I think it's good, but whether it's, whether it's good or not, objectively a lot of people are already consuming a lot of podcast content. And I think to look out at how much podcast content is already being consumed And then to get a little qualitative and a little subjective and like listen to the quality of it and then be like, I don't know, general dynamics or someone and being like, I think we need to get an executive on here to do a really thrilling look at the history of defense contracting. Like, I think it's kind of nuts. People are still doing it, but I, I think more now than ever before, there's too much good going on to go out and want to be a brand trying to create your own content to hijack some of that already committed listening time without like i feel like you really Mm -hmm. have to feel like you've been struck by it's a struck by lightning great idea as a brand to want to do that i think anything that doesn't feel like it's going to be incredible is going to not be listened to
1: right and it's a risk too right because you're you're putting in time and resources and energy into something that just frankly isn't your expertise, right? I mean, if you're, a uh, you know, accessory brands trying to create content, it's, it's sort of a stay in your lane moment. And, and, you know, I don't think it's always the right answer to stay in your lane, but I think for something like content creation, expertise around what people want to listen to, uh, I think it's one of those things where, you know, just because you can speak with, Uh, affirmation, confidence and expertise around a certain topic doesn't mean that topic is going to be widely sought after in terms of a listenership and so you really have to be self-aware and I think there's like some crazy stat around how many podcasts just what they say pod fade and fail Uh, the success rate is so small and the the listenership is so uh, is so stacked towards the top performing shows um, that it's really tough to break through. You do have to come with kind of a unique spin or an existing audience from another platform to to really see success off the bat. Otherwise, you, you are fighting an uphill battle for relevance. Uh, and maybe what you're saying and talking about is unique and, and has a spin that people want to come back and listen to. But it really is difficult to to create something like that and be able to put it out uh, on a rolling basis over time. So what I'm saying to you guys is, is the best of luck because I'm a fan of the pod, but you know there is a lot out there. Uh, I don't know a ton of folks who are doing uh, content like this about digital marketing specifically. Uh, so I think that's a good pull that you guys have, but um, I don't think every you know B2B brand is gonna have something differentiating like that, that that does have a mass appeal and that isn't saturated towards a niche audience.
3: Well, that's what I think is kind of weird about the podcast like doing a podcast to satisfy like another tick in like for your brand because it's like like I think Lee you said like do a podcast season it's like I've never ever thought of podcasts from a season perspective Mm -hmm. you know it's like they just they just keep going it's like thinking about creating a limited series of you know advice on whatever your brand is and and I think Casey you said it best of like the resources that it takes versus like think about the authority that like if you were a loyal podcast fan and your favorite podcast was talking about some brand that you maybe weren't aware of like you're so much more likely to discover that versus Uh or you're more likely to discover new content i guess because i'm gonna listen to my favorite podcasts and they're gonna say oh try x y and z Versus, if i'm already invested in a brand and they make a podcast i'm probably like the highest tier of likely to listen so i guess to me it's like i really am like what is the point <laughs> like, you know unless you're doing it for the love of the game
1: right and i think that and i'll lean back into a previous host mike enger who talking about community right and like what does brand community mean e- et cetera. Uh, but the the listeners of popular podcasts are truly communities uh within themselves and you know it takes a long long time to build up that relevance uh, and it takes a long time to gain that respect and and the the consistency of people coming back over time uh, for a long time, uh, week after week, or if you drop multiple times a week, it, it really is impressive and takes a long time. And you know, there's a lot of skill that goes into creating great show after great show and keeping that quality up. it's It's a crazy full-time job, and I, I'm just always so impressed by the people who have been doing it for so long. I, I think, joe rogan is just one of the more kind of mystifying folks out there right now and the way he's been able to continually put out great content for so long it's uh it's really you know not an easy thing to do like just because you can talk doesn't mean you can hold an audience these are really talented folks and you know the community aspect of it is huge it's you know the the comedy podcast or just kind of getting on air and and shoot and, and shooting the breeze and and talking about nothing is you have to have the gift of gab so well in that environment uh, so I guess if I were to if I were to suggest a topic for um, you know a new podcaster who wants to get in there you know try to focus on something specific and niche as you can that has a following that maybe isn't um, satisfied with, uh, with with what they currently have available. I mean, Ryan, I'll, I'll lean into you right here because I think the book of the month example was was really pertinent. Uh, if there was a podcast on book of the month, like, do you think you would listen to it?
3: Oh, yeah. I, I mean, this is, I could go down an embarrassing rabbit hole. Like, those are the things that, like, that's the content that I like. And, like, I, I love mean,
0: Randy's shameless quote, plug. embarrassing rabbit hole. She's like, oh my God, <laughs> what can I say? I read a lot of books. Randy, like 36 minutes ago, I was like, alcoholism is a scourge one discovers in the driest of (laughs) places. And Randy's like, oh my God, total book addict.
1: (laughs) I got a book problem. Uh, (laughs) Well, you should
3: should see my bookshelves. Um, (laughs) No, but I mean, I think that's exactly like, I mean, I couldn't tell you the number of newsletters I subscribe to and... It, it is a content-consuming community. I was going to say, shameless plug for my uh, book-promoting Instagram. <laughs> At Books on Tap. There you go. Feel free to follow. Yeah, I
1: mean, we're going to have um, the Books on Tap podcast soon coming out of this. But, yeah. I mean. Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is just something that it matters to you in, in terms of the community aspect and uh, the way in which over time you build up an audience because you are able to, uh, as a podcaster, in effect, you know, come week after week and provide relevant information or provide entertainment uh, to, to really have people come back and, and want more. It, it is a lot to do. Uh, and I think folks don't realize how much work it is and and what, what goes into it. Uh, but the, the payoff for creating a community is exceptionally valuable, especially in this day and age. It really is just, you know, um, the more people you have that, that follow you, the more impact you can have uh, amplifying uh, either advertiser brand content, which again, like this, is what the whole genesis of this discussion is about. Uh, but you're even seeing content creators, um, you know, on a on a broader scale, actually start their own companies and do their own merch sales. Uh, you know, when this podcast really pops off, the bad impression coffee mugs are going to start flying, and you guys might be able to leave your marketing gigs and just focus on this. You never yeah, know. Yeah, if we
0: if we could sell merch to support it's funny, actually, when I quit my job, someone was like, so you're doubling down on the podcast, going full time. And I was like, buddy, I wish, <laughs> like, but absolutely not.
1: I don't know. I wouldn't sell yourself too short yet, Lee. It's still early in the process. But yeah, th- I mean, that's what it all kind of comes down to. And, and, you know, selfishly, the the brands are looking for kind of a, a, a quick way to, to get a community and to to really own the, the audience and, and to go that route versus spending money on advertising, but the odds are just not your favor. Um, it's just really hard to do.
0: Can we talk how podcasts grow?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I, I think the, it's a, I mean, it's a tough question, right? I think it's just how do people's relevance grow? I think the biggest indicator is kind of tapping into something that I uh, hasn't really been explored to an audience as hungry for for that particular uh, piece of content. So I have a good example of, of, of something that really I saw firsthand that was pretty amazing, which was the, the Collar Daddy podcast. Uh, have you guys heard of the Collar Daddy podcast? Yeah. Getting nods from Ryan. Basically, it's a, uh, a, a show on the... <laughs> I think I'm in the demographic <laughs> more
3: than these two. You are in the <laughs>
1: demographic. So I, uh, two podcast hosts, Alex Cooper and, and Sophia Franklin, uh, started a podcast which was really focusing on kind of the, the female side of the, the sexual experience, uh, for lack of a better term, but um, basically talking about kind of taboo items that um they were experiencing in their lives as uh single you know mid 20 year olds in New York City uh and it was sort of a random thing to start um and that's <laughs> ryan's pointing to herself but it was sort of a random uh, thing to start and it, it didn't really have much context in the space so uh, there was a new show on Bark Barstool Network in 2018 uh it was pretty small and it started going but uh once people started listening uh, you know, young females and, and young couples actually interestingly enough uh, started hearing you know sexual advice and stories and perspective from a really unique angle. It really started to blow up and there wasn't really anything out there in the space content wise that spoke to something so relevant with that point of view. Um, and so I think that that's like the best indicator of something that, was really new, tapped into for the first time, and just showed extreme growth when people started hearing about it and listening to it. Uh, So I think just the best answer to that question, Lee, is is content is king and trying to find, you know, discussion points that a lot of people aren't kind of leaning into, but is relevant in the space, either from a lifestyle perspective or... Uh, you know, relevance, perspective, um, informative or entertaining. Again, those are kind of the two things I go back to when when making a podcast. It really does need to be informative or entertaining first off. Um, And then when you really tap a chord into an audience who is hungry for a certain, uh, you know, avenue um, and a way to consume that material, kind of like you guys are creating a a podcast around, you know, the nuances and different ad formats and talking to different folks who do different things uh, for the ad community. Um, there's a lot of different avenues that you can take, but that's probably my best answer to that question. Uh, and then trying to promote, you know, that, uh, mechanism through social media or other avenues, word of mouth to try to get people to try it out. Uh, and then it sort of builds on itself from there. Kind of like anything.
0: Yeah. It's interesting and something that I think we, I guess we talk about it. Maybe, maybe we think about it more than we talk about it as a host group is bridging the different levels of niche, I guess I would say. We're very conscious of the fact, and I mean literally conscious of the fact, not in a bad way, we know that probably the top end of listeners to this podcast as it exists now is purposely not massive. We also have these moments where I think it bridges to things that are a little bigger. I guess bigger is the word. Um, We've had an episode on how... You know, if you think you know all the right reasons to be upset about the way the major ad platforms and publishers work, there's a whole set specific to ads to them. Um, You know, we, we have some content that touches on how some very major facets of the internet that the general public faces constantly. And I think sometimes we have this temptation to try and, like, maybe have, like, pump the bricks or, like, record scratch, like... Here's what this means to the layman, or interestingly enough, kind of other communities. Uh, people in the finance community are fascinated to learn that what they call high frequency trading was has been the basis of biddable digital media for twenty years. Um, I think Magnite, which is just a mid-sized programmatic exchange, has one hundred times the trade volume of NASDAQ. And things like that and things like the fact that auction dynamics as an academic field has been much more reshaped by digital media than any other market. Like we have a temptation to reach towards that stuff, but it's tough because it's like, oh, let's do one big thing on internet privacy and how certain movements are not being covered and, and or covering them isn't lucrative during advertising. And then the next episode it'll be like well, get ready to hear about IAB standard banner formats. You know, <laughs> and people are going to
1: be like, "God, this sucks! This sucks!" Or you just see such a variance on who's listening and 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 kind of who you're gearing it towards. It's tough, right? Yeah, it's tough, man. It's it's hard to figure out who you're going after. I think you know the more mass appeal, the the more the higher the ceiling, but also the higher the potential that you're just catering this towards nobody. So you have to draw the line somewhere on figuring out who you're trying to get to and who you really want to be participating as part of your community um, that you're trying to build.
0: Casey, this has been fantastic content. Feel like you have casey murphy's powerful principles for performance podcast advertising are there it's any piece. maxims it is a lot of peace we've talked about a lot of peace we talked about a lot of <laughs> nines on a previous episode
1: uh yeah so I, I i mean sure i'll i'll give this a stab so to recap kind of what i was saying is you know first of all you need to know your audience um you need to know who you're trying to reach and uh, and that's kind of the genesis of, of all advertising campaigns, honestly, is f- focusing on who who you're actually trying to, to get your message across to. Uh, and then I think after that, it's figuring out uh, what mechanisms you want to use, um, what is most applicable to your type of advertising, whether that be digital ad insertion, if it's that avenue you want to go to, if it's all about Uh, you know reach frequency having that full feedback loop you know try out the the megaphones of the world loop into the spotify business manager give that a shot Um, you know kind of try to fold advertising into the mechanisms that you're currently running Um, or if you want to give the kind of the more influencer side a shot and go baked in hostrad advertising um, do your research on the content itself Um, try to find Uh, folks uh, who are within your target demographic, try to figure out what they're listening to, what they're consuming, what they're watching, and uh, use that as a a method to um, start the thought process of where you want to exercise your voice and where you want to kind of integrate into. Uh, Once you make those decisions, it's all about just uh, kind of making the leap of faith. I, I think podcast advertising is, is new for a lot of brands and it can be scary, it can be intimidating. But uh, as we know, the, the best way in which to, to learn is to try it out. And um, that's my biggest advice is don't be too afraid. Like get, get some control, figure out the basics and start doing your research and, and, and give us a shot because I, I do work with a lot of brands who see quite a bit of success uh, through this mechanism, uh, through the audio avenue, and it's only getting bigger. Uh, Again, like, we didn't even really talk about Clubhouse at all. I don't really have too much to say about Clubhouse. I think it's too new, but uh, there's a clear appetite for audio and audio at volume, and I think if you're not learning the space and not at least trying it out or doing your research, then, um, you know, you're, you're missing out a little bit.
3: I was actually going to ask you about Clubhouse and how you felt that that was going to either affect or not affect podcasts, podcasts in general. But like, and then also like Clubhouse advertising. I mean, I I humble brag like I'm on Clubhouse, but you know, I don't really. <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Like I was telling one of my friends recently, I was like, to me. It's hard. It's hard to get into because it feels like a conference call. And I feel like 2020 brought us to this Zoom world where like getting on a conference call to me is like, no, thank you. Like, I need the visual cue of like, if you're going to really have a car. I mean, obviously there's a side of like, if you're jumping in like a 50,000 person room in Clubhouse, like you're not talking, but like. To have a real conversation, I feel like it's super, super hard to do if you don't have the visual cues of having someone on video. So
1: Yeah, I I kind of feel the same way, Ryan, personally, honestly. I go my full day on the phone basically all day or on Zoom uh, video conferencing. And so to get me to extend that farther is a little bit difficult. So personally, I, I am kind of a slow adopter to the Clubhouse platform. I'm on there. I do try to jump in when I can but I think what it is showing is basically just that there's again an appetite for a mass market to listen to folks talk about certain things right it's it really is similar to podcasting it's like the real time podcast network in effect where you're not making a decision on something to listen to that was recorded, you know, weeks or months or days ago. You're you're listening to a conversation happening right now, which is makes it different and you know, as as progressive as it is, the more I talk about it, it sounds like I'm just describing old school radio. So like Clubhouse, <laughs> think just literally be radio uh, repurposed into an app, and anybody can kind of hop on and do it. But I think just like any other social media network, and you know, new uh, new platform, you know, it's only a matter of time before you just start hearing ads all over the place and there. Uh, oh, sure. both, uh, both, whatever the product they decide to roll out and folks who are influencers who are, who are doing things directly, uh, in like the host yeah. red mindset. So it, it is, a, it is only a matter of time. It has to be, um, before you start seeing that type of stuff, but I think, like for the listener right now, uh, whenever this is published, if you are a Clubhouse fan, enjoy it for the, the the sanctity that you have for probably the next like month or two before it does start uh, getting saturated. Um, but yeah, I think it's TBD. I mean, it's still so super new. Uh, Elon Musk really put that thing on steroids and got a lot of people to sign up when when he started leveraging it. Uh, I think it's a way in which folks can. Basically broadcast and, and chat through and get together a group of people to talk about uh, you know, a, specific, um, a specific topic and you know, folks are resonating with it and you can plan around it. You can, you can go live and you can talk about whatever you want.
0: On that note, I think we'll just move it along to the ultimate question of the podcast that we put to all guests. Casey, if there's one thing about digital advertising, digital marketing, I don't know what we're supposed to call it anymore, or even honestly, (laughs) just the internet that is meant to persuade people of things or the internet Mm -hmm. that's not meant to persuade people of things that you think is down bad and could either stand to improve or be eliminated altogether and, or ideally is, is very funny that it exists the way that it does. Uh, what would that one just big sore thumb sticking out in the hand of, of all things internet be right now for you?
1: (laughs) Well, I, I don't want to kind of be lame, but I I've always thought that the privacy situation going on uh, with some of the larger platforms is, is extremely troubling. Um, The, (laughs) they're, they're, the regulators are starting to pretend to do stuff. And so it's like sort of moving along. Um, And I know that there are laws coming in that affect, uh, you know, ability to track people across the internet. But I I think it's crazy how much Facebook or Google knows about the average person. Uh, And I think what really rattled me to the core was back in 2016, uh before facebook kind of closed off the pipes to audience insights where you could upload a list of emails and basically know everything about those people that were on that list of emails just giving brands and platforms and individuals the insight into like really personal data uh, of, of people all the way up to You know what is only like four or five years ago and just seeing what i could see in that world and then knowing what they know it's really uh kind of shifts your perception on you know everything you're doing on the internet and the things that are put in front of you uh especially from an advertising realm that are there on purpose and are very calculated and you know what you just mentioned lee about how you know, as the ad programmatic ad buyers are basically the high frequency traders of the new generation in a way. You have really smart people tactically doing this uh, to, to reach certain people and drive certain results and influence people in a certain way. So if I were to say one thing, I would I would love there to just be an equal playing field where, you know, there wasn't such a huge advantage for how much you know about people uh, from a data standpoint. And, you know, I'm kind of you guys know who I'm talking about in this world of, uh, the duopoly and, and who really knows the most and Amazon. So uh, I wish that there was just a full on reset button where everyone just started from scratch. And uh, truly the people who were the most influential what they were doing and, and the ideally like the content they're providing actually started to rise to the top versus just most of the money funneling to like targeting and just knowing what people are going to do based on years and years of data and manipulation so that's my big thing is just privacy man like i wish i just didn't have to worry about that and i wish i could just block it all and have them know nothing about me but i know they know everything
0: it's a great topic and it, it touches on so much currently and it's created so many second order bad situations that you kind of have to get into but Speaking of the cutting room floor, we had a previous guest who shared with us that he frequently talks to people who are like, but what's the real harm? And he's like, do you understand that people are absolutely geofencing abortion clinics? He was like, that's 100% 100 happening. Like, that's happening. So there you go. You know, there's this whole like, what's the harm crowd? And he's like, okay, in three seconds, like, let me give you a real one that happens all the time. And people were like, oh <laughs> yeah and i briefly arced through the world of pharma advertising i heard about it my whole career and all i can say it's like the famous quote from the congressional hearing i knew it would be bad i did not know that it would be this bad that bad. i'll say yeah. say no more um if if you also were like i out there and you're like never in pharma advertising that's a little weird and you're wondering how weird bad does it get uh the answer is ultra <laughs> um, gets ultra weird bad
1: it gets super weird and super bad, yeah, yeah, I don't doubt it I really don't i uh yeah i think it I think it is i mean this is another topic for another podcast for you guys, but I think it's an important one for you know, folks who, who aren't behind the scenes and don't see how this data is used to, for monetization. I, I think the the best way to um, to explain it to people where I've had the most success and when you talk about social media and you talk about uh, like Instagram, for an example, where you're, as a person, providing the content, you're uploading your your pictures, you're commenting on other people's stuff, you're consuming a lot of things. And if you're the content creator and you're providing what they make money off of, and you're not getting paid, Like the biggest swindle of all time is the endorphin aspect of social media, where you basically put your life out there. You drive people to the platform and all you get are like good feelings when people like your picture and Facebook's making trillions of dollars off of you. Like that to me is like insane. Like if you really think about it, uh, the fact of that of the matter that they're just monetizing human endorphins, like social mechanisms for survival, like that's so fucked up and like, crazy and then they're like using all those behaviors to then serve better ads uh to, to people based on what they're doing and, and how they're interacting to me like if you start thinking about that you can stay up at night nice staring at the ceiling and wonder what you've been doing since you were middle school posting on facebook
0: yeah the platforms benefit and to call back to a, a thing that anger mentions a lot there are brands that are built on nothing but is he says three million teenage girls making free content for nothing more than a feature in an instagram story and yep. at, at their little mm-hmm. micro level they might be like oh well you know it, it was fun i guess i don't feel that exploited it was fun and cool the entire value of the brand is just the aggregate content of other people there's like nothing to it. They made an off the shelf product, manufactured cheap offshore, a little bit of marketing stylizing and the entirety of its popularity is just other people making them content. And yeah, to your point, yep. it's like, it's like, what are these people doing with $50 million of money? Like, what is, what's going on here? <laughs> like
1: A story that resonated with me is this kid, Josh Richards, who um is uh one of the the TikTok Sway House kids um who also has has a podcast on, on bar story now called BFFs but one of the thing interviews that I listened to him was he was saying that uh before TikTok was TikTok and it was musically uh he was a huge musically star which is basically like he was a 15 year old dancing and lip syncing to songs which is still what that platform is I don't really understand it honestly um, old over here okay yeah old i don't i don't understand Uh, (laughs) it either although (laughs) yeah i'm I'm old president g if you're
0: listening i'm not saying i oppose your glorious plan i'm just saying i don't understand its main arm yeah, there is something I on
3: TikTok I for everyone I it. i'll tell I was you this is
1: before the chinese chinese government came in and and so josh Richards was really a musically fan and, and musically was like okay how do we promote our stars let's aggregate like the top users and we're going to do a, a united states tour so they toured for six weeks i think and like went to every major city and basically did you know what can only be described as like the britney spears mall era of like touring but they were doing it in front of like decent sized crowds and after the the six week was done TikTok gave him a check for $700 or musically so he got paid $700 to basically like flaunt the the entire business across the country and they were like oh you got exposure And then at that point, he started waking up to it and being like, hey, I got to like figure out a way to take back control. And so, you know, another conversation for another uh, podcast, but basically like, you know, more power is going to the creators in a lot of ways these days. They're still leveraging the platforms to get out there. But um, I think that. Um, generally the, it all kind of works itself into like the general evil of these mass media, uh, social media companies that, you know, aren't necessarily all evil, but it, it's hard to defend them these days. And, uh, you know, the U S government's getting involved in stuff. So, you know, all interesting stuff. I love talking about that, but obviously not what this, you know, Metapod was originally about. So I'll stop there.
3: The Metapod. I Metapod.
1: That. I think that was a Pokemon.
0: If not it it should be soon. Uh, yeah,
3: that I can't answer. To,
0: today's marketable two teens that podcast that Pokemon is due for a revival in. Uh, appreciate anything, meta. Much as we appreciate you coming <laughs> on the show, Casey. It's been a great pleasure. Uh, thank you very much.
1: Of course. No, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It was a lot of fun and uh yeah, looking forward to uh, to you know, listening in and when it when it drops and I, I can't wait to, to see what you guys do, cause I'm gonna be following and I'm, I'm a fan and I am a part of this community now. So uh, thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Casey.
3: Thanks, Casey.
1: You know i think uh if i could you know i don't want to overstep my bounds here but uh something that i've noticed when listening to your show um is that is that i think you three all have uh really distinct personalities and, and bring different things to, to the table and, and that's what makes it a good uh a kind of a good dynamic between you three but as a listener what I would want to see um, a little bit more is for you guys to have a little bit of time to show your personality yourselves. So I think you do a great job, uh, you know, within your question asking, like Lee, you particularly. Uh, you'll you'll go in and you'll start to kind of give a formulated uh, question in, in a way that's kind of tailored to your personality, et cetera. But have you guys ever thought about having like a, a five or 10-minute kickoff segment where it's just you three sort of talking about, uh, you know, either current events or what you're feeling that day or some stories that you've seen over the course of time to kind of kick things off to maybe allow your listenership to, to learn more about you guys, because that's something as a listener, like I kind of wanted to see more or, or hear more of. Uh, and as you build that again, like I keep using the word community, I feel like anger right now, but, um, as you continue to build that, like, I think you're going to hear that more, like people are going to want to resonate more with you guys on a personal level. Uh, so I want, I hope you keep that in mind, um, you know, as a, as a potential mechanism moving forward.
2: I think that's great feedback. Um, and I think one of the things, you know, and I'll let, uh, Lee and and Ryan kind of chime in on that as well, but, you know, one of the things that we, we have done like a uh, current events, but that's always been with the the guest, uh, and there's been a lot of um, espousing of opinions and, and those kind of things, um, but always with the the inclusion of the guest, because a lot of this was kind of born out of having it be a guest led um, kind of podcast. But I think to your point is like we're we're the consistent personalities on here, and everyone needs to kind of understand. You know how I'm different from Lee, and how Ryan's different from me, and like all three, like we all are slightly different in terms of our, our career progressions and what we've experienced, and and, and those kind of things. And I just think the the audience could kind of really like relate to that. Um But also, one of the things that we really want this podcast to to be, and not that we really built this like altruistically, I think we kind of bought, built this um, out of boredom and exploration of, of the space, but. Uh, but it was also in terms of, like, we want this to be a platform for someone who's been grinding this axe and, and their back shed for years and have not had a platform to discuss, like, something that really grinds their gears uh, and in digital marketing and really give them this opportunity uh, to be a thought leader or, you know, present the, their their stance um, to the industry as well. So like, I think there's been a lot of thought behind like, we want this to be very guest led, but at the same time that also kind of pushes us to the back um, to where, as you know, what you were just sharing with, um, you, you want more of our personality to kind of come through.
0: I think it's phenomenal feedback. And I even, I know the thing personally that anytime you, you set out in a direction whether you're correcting to it, you always overcorrect or if, or it's something you lean too hard and you have to correct later. And I even know specifically what I am like running from or shying away from. And it's something I haven't even told David or Ryan this, but this is like one of my formative things that I, I thought about when, when thinking about this podcast format was at the depths of the pandemic for me, which luck, Full up disclaimer, I'm a white collar professional working indoors with no dependents. I've had as nice a as nice a quarantine as one could have. Okay, so I'm not I'm not trying to cast the depths of my quarantine as bad in a general spectrum, but, but at the depths of them, and this is how low it got, I signed up and paid like eight dollars for an advertising content event. I mean, you know, that's when you're really crawling. Like, paying money, like, on a, like, Friday night for, like, an advertising content event. Like, talk about just dragging yourself through the mud and being pathetic. But, um...
3: On a Friday Ryan, night? Ryan, days
0: didn't matter.
3: Even didn't- I have... Even I have better plans Ryan, on Friday Ryan, days didn't nights. matter
0: anymore. This is around the time where, at one point, I was up for, like, 48 hours and had to take a day off from work because I just hadn't slept. Because I was just like, what is time anymore? <laughs> like i just like i was like i've been at computer i will go to balcony i've been at computer and balcony for like 12 hours each i'm not tired like you know it, it was just unstuck in time ryan <laughs> okay any
3: i mean that's fair I, I i also spent 10 plus months with parental see, yeah i was completely
0: so. alone I mean, thank God I have parental oversight now that I'm freelancing, a.k.a. back to wearing a t-shirt that says, every day is the weekend when you're a scumbag. Anyway, I went to this thing because, I don't know, I think Scott Galloway recommended it or something, and it was featuring some guy who's just like your stereotypical Australian strategic creative director. You know, it's like a tall, white Australian guy who still has all his hair, but he's like 50 So he's advanced pretty far in the pyramid scheme of our industry.
1: It's wild because there are so many people like that. I know exactly who you're talking about.
3: But anyway. I have both of these books on my shelf. All right. Have not read. We'll we'll get him on. We'll get him on
0: eventually, probably through an armed kidnapping. But um,
3: my friend works for his company.
0: Anyway, I, I go to this thing. And I'm not saying this guy wasn't interesting and I'm not saying the people who set up the event didn't have good intentions, but it was so inside baseball and like so clicky. I felt like I was at this guy's surprise birthday party over Zoom and I hadn't (laughs) met him. No, but it was like, it starts out and it's like, they give him a present and it's like 20 minutes of fawning over him. Like they're literally like, you started a magazine of hip hop fandom in Southeast Asia. Uh, you know, like, and I was like, Jesus, like a Southeast Asian hip hop fandom magazine started by an Australian. And I guarantee you that magazine was problematic. And that guy is <laughs> like, just all those actors <laughs> add up to some bad stuff. Um, but like, I really felt like I was on zoom at some guy's birthday party who I didn't know. Cause like the whole thing is just like, it's, it just felt so inside baseball-y and that really shaped, I've I, and I have cut things and editings. People sometimes ask me, like, what by time is the thing you cut the most? And I'll tell you, wrong or right, what I cut the most of, besides just, like, people are like, okay, besides people just, like, having dead air, what do you cut the most? I cut inside baseball stuff. I do cut some, like, remember the time we were on our fifth cigarette outside Maggie Riley's and the old one-two walked up? And it's like, yeah, like no, you know, no, nobody, <laughs> nobody knows what this is. This
3: is why I don't feature much because all I say are things like that. <laughs> I've
0: been cutting Ryan, silencing Ryan's voice. <laughs> no, 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 but like it's funny. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no, I, I know. No, it's funny. It's but but I I over air probably over air on cutting some of that stuff because I'm like there's a bunch of people who are gonna be like you know classic two Green Dyke situation. You know, people aren't going to know those are two related people who we know. You know, like, and I'm just like, people, are, it sounds weird. So it's it's great feedback and it's definitely something. And I, I, I am in my mind always running from this weird thing I dialed in where I felt like I was going to have to be like, I didn't bring a present and I don't know any of you. And people are going to be <laughs> like, what's wrong with that? It's a public marketing event. And I'd be like, is it? Like, Jesus Christ. Like, I feel like this guy's going to send a Christmas card to my house after this every year. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't want that. What do they even, what do Australian creative directors even do for Christmas cards? Probably the kind of guy who unironically, like, sends himself shirtless, honestly. And you're like, oh, Jesus.
1: Or he has like he has a, it's him shirtless next to his, like, six foot tall Great Dane. Oh, you know absolutely. I mean? he's, like one of, he's got one of those. It's like, I have a huge yard, so I have a Great Dane. Um, but like, I think a lot of what you said uh, is really interesting because when you boil it down, I think what you really are looking for with a podcast is to create an environment where people play inside baseball, as you phrased it, about what you're saying. Like that there are inside jokes that uh, only people who listen to the show will understand that, you know, there's banter going on, there's attachment to the certain hosts and they're different. Like there are different types of people who like Ryan versus uh, Shola versus Lee. Like you want to create that environment um, where you guys all kind of interact with your own brands. uh, And then that's how you kind of extend past the audio portion, right? Like you can go and get engagement on social media. You can have the conversation extend past the podcast itself. And that's what's up. Like, that's what you want. So I think like the inside baseball thing, not a bad thing really, but as long as you're only talking about the inside jokes that you guys are making up, like that's what's, that's where the, the gold is. And that's what having an audience is, is really all about.
0: This is all great feedback. It gives us much, much to consider.
2: another corporate retreat
0: oh i know uh, was it spring retreat is is the season spring yet i'm the guy who was accidentally awake for 48 hours because my brain divorced from the sun going around the earth so (laughs) don't ask me when the vernal equinox is i'm not a pagan anymore well
3: it is march so god
0: oh god taxes um gonna be a doozy this year uh, Matt Kemp, and An- <laughs> Matt Kemp, and Andrew Como duking it out for my pocket change. Uh, God damn, two, that's
1: a combo. Yeah,
0: two of America's most popular governors right now and <laughs> always. Um,
3: <laughs> Throw Greg Abbott into the mix. And
0: hey, my, yeah, and no, man, my sister's in Texas. We've got a real collection of uh, wow. You know, plus my Florida extended family. We're just we're really racking up the states of powerful governors who are exuding calm control and...
3: Well, actually, I'm going to throw Gavin Newsom into no, the you know too. I hate... He is no bargain. You know I
0: hate... I, I hate <laughs> Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom has been pulling, He's... pulling the wool over people's eyes for years. He's the guy signing off on all the real estate development in the fire areas. He gets as much money from the real estate lobbies as anyone, so...
3: I mean, I, I, I'm not even going to pretend I know enough about it, but he just is. Well, also,
0: what's his... Kim Guilfoyle? Weren't they, like, married? Yes. yes.
3: And now she's dating one of the yeah. Trump sons. I can't remember which oh, one. Oh my god. It's Don like Don Jr. I think. Don well, Junior.
0: Kevin yeah, Newsom right. is just as much a guy in the pocket of real estate development as anyone in the Trump family. He just gets a pass because he goes on TV and he's like, It's global warming and people are like, Governor Newsom, you've also allowed the reckless development of things designated emergency fire zones because someone donated like fifteen dollars to your campaign and he's like it's the global warming it's like
2: yes it is
0: but again you have chased a quarter rolling down a hill you know to authorize like it no i'm not kidding i listened to a true and on episode just talking podcast, where they talked to like a 78 year old california environmentalist who i was like wow this guy is getting ready to mail some bombs like in a righteous way probably gonna have to cut that part He's making great points. He's like, there's literally no one you can vote for in the state of California who isn't trying to destroy it as fast as possible for not even that much money. I was just like, good God.